Morning. I want to welcome each of you to Hill Country Bible Church, those joining us at Steiner Ranch, at Lakeline, at Leander online. We're so grateful to have you with us today. And we're in our countdown, and the number in our countdown is the number two. Now, the number two is a very special number for me because 11 years ago, I got number one. And then seven weeks ago, I got number two. So I have two bionic hips. A couple more weeks of recovery, I'll be ready for March Madness, sitting on my couch, watching it happen. Oh, seriously, that's where I've been for a while, is uh, recovering from my second hip replacement. Everything's good now. But seriously, two is two weeks until Easter. Can you believe that? In two weeks, there will literally be billions of Christians around the globe celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that changes everything. And here at Hill Country, we're so excited about that. We're so excited that we've been in a sermon series called The Good News, and we learned that Jesus is the good news to remind ourselves of just how good it is to know Jesus and to experience his transformation personally, and then how good it is to share this good news with others. And so we've been encouraging you leading up to Easter to begin to identify some friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers, whoever they might be, pray for them, and then invite them to Easter. Now, Easter is statistically the Sunday that the majority of people who never attend church say that they would attend church if invited by a friend. In fact, about 25% of the U.S. population says that we would attend if invited by a friend, which means that if you want one friend to come, you may have to invite four, just kind of playing the odds here, unless you're a really good friend, and then I'm sure that they'll join you. But that's our, our desire, that we would not only experience Jesus' resurrection, but we would share that with the people that we care about and the people that we know. Now, today in our series, we're looking at the transformation that comes from the good news. And we know that Jesus changes everything. He transforms everything. And this is such good news. We're going to be looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians, so I would encourage you, if you got a, a physical copy of the Bible or digital, to go there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and while you're going there, I have a question to ask you, and as I ask this question, I want you to ponder it, don't raise your hand, I just want you to ponder it, okay? Just think about this. Here's the question, am I a good person? That's the, not me, Tim. You're supposed to ask yourself, am I a good person? Okay. While you're thinking about that, let me just remind you that people from social workers to serial killers have said, well, I'm a basically a good person. And so we know that question, though it seems like it would be really straightforward and easy to answer, is way more complicated than we might think. Actually, a better question is, what is a good person? What makes a good person? 
That's a better question. So then you have to start asking what would be the criteria. Love small animals and children. Um, I keep some of the commandments some of the time. I'm really kind, except in traffic. Like, everybody knows somebody like that, because everybody who drives in Austin now is like that, right? So what is the criteria? Well, people who spend way too much time in chat discussions on the internet have come up with the perfect test for the perfect person. You're a good person according to them based on the shopping cart test. Do you put your shopping cart back in the little rack when you're done with it? Or do you leave it out in the parking area where it can bump into other people's cars and take up parking spaces? Now, people who have spent way too much time thinking about this than I have actually started debating it, and one guy writes it up this way. Here's his rationale, his theological, moral, and Um, philosophical rationale. Listen, he says, objectively, the correct action to take is to put the shopping cart where it's supposed to go. It's not illegal to abandon the cart, so you can do that without consequence. Therefore, the shopping cart test presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do the right thing without being forced to do it. No one will punish you or fine you. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do. Hmm. Now, I have a couple thoughts, actually three. My first one is, that's pretty brilliant, you know? Like somebody came up with that. Yay for people who spend way too much time on the internet. My second observation or thought here is the reason why I think that's brilliant is because I always put my shopping cart away. (laughs) Boom! Nailed it! I'm a good person! Which leads me to my third thought about this, and that is, but yet deep down inside of me when I'm all alone, by myself, thinking about who I really am, I don't even measure up to my own standards in word and thought and action. I don't even do what I think a good person should do. Oh, occasionally I do, but it's certainly not consistent. And sometimes I do think and say things that are downright awful. I need to be transformed. Now you can raise your hand. Anybody here? Wish for transformation, desire transformation. We know you can keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. The question is, can we be transformed? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth in the city of Corinth, that's in Greece, and he's writing a letter to them, and in this letter he's wrestling with a number of things, but one of the things he's responding to is their criticism of his motives. In fact, in verse 13, he talks about them thinking that he's actually lost his mind, that he's actually crazy. And here's what they're wondering, Paul, why are you so fanatical 
about bringing the good news of the gospel to people that you're traveling all over the world and like chill out a bit, a bit, Paul, like do life. Like maybe you should put your focus on getting a country club membership or, you know, living in the right neighborhood or maybe getting a better education or certainly one for your kids or enjoying a new car. Like that's what we all do. Like why are you not focused on those things and you're so overwhelmingly committed to a mission. And Paul says to them, if you have experienced what I have experienced, you would see life the way I see life. You would be transformed like I am transformed. And he really tells them three things in this passage. The first thing he points out to them is this, yeah, here we go, Um, Jesus' love transforms our life purpose. Jesus' love transforms our life purpose from self-focused to servant, from self-focused to servant. Now, we, we actually all know that, that all of us have three very important people in our lives. In fact, three people that are the most important in our lives, named me, myself, and I, right? At the end of the day, like, we are about us. Harvard did a study of a number of people to determine in conversation how much time do we spend talking about ourselves? You want to venture a guess? 60% of the time when we are in conversations, we are talking about ourselves, which explains why sometimes you're talking to somebody and they just keep going on and on and on about themselves and on and on and on, and you walk away and you say, that was a really unsatisfying conversation because they talk so much, I didn't get a chance to talk about me. (laughs) And like, why would I talk to you if I don't get a chance to talk about me? Because that's me. I'm important here. They discovered when it comes to social media, 80% of what we post or discuss online is about us. That's who we are. Now, here's one of the biggest challenges. I want to write this down. This is very important to ponder. That is, if your life never exceeds the borders of yourself, in time, you will become a very small person. If your life does not exceed the borders of yourself, in time, you will become a very small person. From Paul's standpoint, his life was all about him. It was his career, his money, his good deeds, his priorities, his education, his lifestyle, his passions. It was all about him, and then something happened that changed everything. In verse 4, look at what he says. He says, excuse me, verse 14 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us. Love is the most motivating, powerful factor in the world. And Paul says, when I understood the magnitude of Jesus' love for me, 
it moved me. Now, the word compel here in the Greek literally means the thing that pulls everything else in life together, pulls all the pieces in life together, and then gives us clarity to move out. And what Paul is saying here is, like, once I got this, like, everything in life began to make sense, and it began to motivate me, and it was motivated by Jesus' love for me. And then he explains it. He goes on to say, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Now, that's an interesting statement. What do you mean? One died for all. Okay, I get that. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for all, and therefore all died. Well, what do you mean? Well, the reason why Jesus died on the cross was to pay for the sins of people on the planet, people that would live on earth. And Paul says, in a way, it's like everybody died with Jesus. In other words, catch this. This is really good news. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't pay for the sins of a few. Not a few righteous, not a few religious, not a few good doers. Jesus paid for the sins of every single person that would ever live on the planet. Think of the worst person you've ever experienced in your life. Sometimes it's even painful to think about it, right? Especially if that person was supposed to be love in your life and turned out to be the opposite of that for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of that person as well. Well, does that mean that if all sins are paid for, that all people are going to experience forgiveness and freedom? The answer to that is no. In fact, he clarifies that. He says, therefore all died, verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live. In other words, there's a prerequisite here that he's going to talk about later. You don't get the forgiveness of Jesus unless you receive the forgiveness of Jesus. There are people walking around in your life right now some of them who are listening to me right now that have never accepted Jesus' sacrifice as a substitute for you, and by not putting your trust in him, his sacrifice is not going to do you any good. You've got to actually put your trust in him. So those who live are the people who have put their trust in him. He says that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when I came to understand Jesus' love, what he did for me, when I got that, I thought, well, this makes sense of life. It brings it all together. My purpose on the planet here is not simply to live for myself. My purpose on the planet here is to know Christ and make him known. Like My purpose is to experience this love and then express this love as a course of life. Paul now understands that our life purpose is not simply building a monument to ourselves, building a legacy to ourselves, which the shifting sands of time wipe out and it goes away. It's not even having the best experience in life. It's living in the love that I have been forgiven 
and I've been given life in Jesus Christ. Now, this is good news, but it doesn't stop there. Paul continues in the passage by telling us this, that Jesus' resurrection changes our destiny from what? From earthlings to eternal beings. From earthlings to eternal beings by the resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me unpack that a little bit for you as we look at verse 16. In verse 16, he says, from now on, we regard no one, when we look at people, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now, what is he saying? He's saying when we look at people, we don't look at them as mere mortals. That, that phrase, worldly point of view, literally means in the flesh. Like when we see people, we don't just see skin and bones. We don't just think of people who are born, breathe, eat, sleep, and die. When we see people, we see them totally different, not mere mortals walking around on the planet, but people of capable of eternality, of being an eternal being. Now, he says, we used to think about Christ this way. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. Like, I'm personally convinced that Paul knew Jesus before his crucifixion because he was involved with the religious leaders before and after Jesus' death on the cross. And so Paul's view of Jesus before the resurrection was simply this. Hey, here's a mere man claiming to be God, going around and teaching the people. He's gaining a following. This is a threat to our religious practices. Since he's a false prophet, he deserves to die. When we kill him, he's dead. He's gone. It's over. And if anybody tries to resurrect him, we'll kill them too. That was Paul's thought. Everybody's just an earthling, a mere mortal. And then Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to Paul, and Paul sees him. Acts chapter 9 tells a story. I would encourage you to read it. From that moment, Paul's eyes were open, and he began to realize, oh my goodness, life doesn't end at the grave. It's not over when we die. There's life beyond this. Jesus is not simply temporal. He's not mere human. Jesus is the Son of God with the power to raise the dead. And in that moment, Paul began to understand that life goes beyond the grave, and that defines all the difference about life. Things change when you're not just living to get to 80, but you're living forever. Now, parents, when you look at your kids, what do you see? Some of you see the terrible twos. I can see the bags in your eyes. Some of you see, like, the anxious teens. Some of you see the financial black hole of college. Like when you look at your kids, like that's what you see. Here's what I would encourage you to see. When you look at your kids, look at them as eternal beings. They are going to live forever. When you think about it that way, that changes the focus of the 18 years that you have to directly influence them. Because you can spend all of your time and all of their time equipping them for this consumer culture to be successful in the here and now. 
Or you can begin to prepare them to know the God of the universe so that they will experience eternal life. There are many people that go to college and wipe out in their life. There are many people that don't go to college and they do just fine. When that becomes the God of our parenting, we actually miss out on the most important thing, and that is helping our children know Jesus because that's going to last way beyond a career or a paycheck or a vacation. That lasts forever. So think about how do you see your own children and what's important. For Paul, like Jesus' resurrection changes our destiny. And then he goes on to explain even further in verse 17. He says, therefore, because, because of this, because Jesus' resurrection changes our destiny, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That, that phrase, the new has come, actually has a, another Greek word in it that's not translated here, but it, the word is behold or look, 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 the new has come. Now, I used to read this passage when I was younger, and I'd read it over and over again. I'd, I'd read it. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. And I interpret a new creation to mean that I would be changed the day I put my trust in Jesus in such a way that I would never be tempted again, and I still was. Or I would never sin again, and I still did. Or I would never be stressed out or have a worry or a care or nothing would ever go wrong because, like, once I put my faith in Jesus, I'm, I'm totally made new. I'm a new creation. And I, I thought that for a long time, and then I studied the passage a little deeper and came to understand that the word creation there is never used of a human. It's not used of personal transformation. It's used of something bigger than that. In fact, in the New Testament, it always refers to the sphere of nature or all the parts of nature. In Jewish thought, they move from there to the idea that it actually refers to the future of nature, the coming kingdom of God, when God sets everything right and makes all things new. In other words, what Paul is saying is, if anyone is in Christ, they have a relationship with Christ, something fundamentally has changed. They have now become a citizen of heaven Their future is in heaven, but their present, they now belong to a different loyalty, a different reality, that heaven is now part of their experience here on earth. The old is gone, meaning sin and death and futility is gone. The new has come. Now we're walking in Jesus, and it's changed who we think about ourselves and how we view our destiny and what we do in this life. Now, I know a number of you probably somewhere along the way learned the Lord's Prayer, maybe even recited it many times, and so I'm, I'm going to ask you to join me if you know it. Let's see how good we do. Okay, we're going to do the first couple verses. Okay, here we go. Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. 
Some of the overachievers are so frustrated right now. (laughs) I got the rest of this. So when the disciples taught, or when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, this is what he taught them. Now think about it. Our Father who art in heaven, you start with a relationship with God. Your Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be thy name. And then Jesus goes right to this. He says, your kingdom, pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Why? Because the disciples as citizens, not of their local geography, but of the kingdom of God to pray that God's kingdom, that's their hope, that's their dream, that day when they will be in the kingdom of God, that you begin to pray that that kingdom would come, that it would come closer, that you would be there and you pray that God's will in the kingdom would come to earth. In other words, as a kingdom citizen, you don't represent the local authority or geography where you live. You now represent heaven. And I picture it this way, that each person has this kind of bubble of heaven around them when they're following the Spirit, walking with God, they got this bubble of heaven, and so everybody that comes close to you kind of steps in for a moment to the experience of what the kingdom's going to be like just by being close to you. Now, that is a new creation. Someday, you are going to enter in to the glory of an earth that has been made perfect. Everything about nature now operates the way it did in the Garden of Eden. Perfect beauty, perfect harmony. You're going to get to be part of that. Someday, your mind will function with full capacity. All sin and selfishness and cynicism will be removed. You will be able to think and create and experience and know things that are beyond anything you'll ever experience in this world. You will be transformed. Your body will be made new. I'm going to lose these pieces of metal, and it's going to be replaced by a body that's like the resurrected body of Jesus with incredible powers and abilities. Your relationships will be changed. You will be able to know people and love people without fear, without concern for alienation or judgmentalism, like pure and perfect harmony. And then the greatest thing of all is you will be in the very presence of God, loved by God, His child, the God of the universe, perfect love. And yet, today, many of us think, like, Looking good before the boss is so important. Like, we got to make sure that happens. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you got something so much better to look forward to. These things are small. When you get your destiny, these things are small. And that's what Paul is trying to help each of us understand. 
that Jesus' resurrection changes our destiny from simply focused on the here and now to recognizing that we are eternal beings. And not only are we, but the people around us. So what do we do while we're on the planet? He tells us in the next section, uh, Jesus' mission transforms our identity. One of the biggest challenges we have in life is the idea that we have to live in a world where we've got to promote ourselves. Promoting me, it'll change us to promoting him. Let's face it, from the time a child is born, and you guys all experienced this because you all grew up at some point, from the time a child's born, the first thing you notice is you've got to start promoting yourself if you want to get any attention, if you want to be known, if you want to have an identity. And so you begin talking, you begin telling your story, you begin talking about your achievements, you begin posting your successes so people can see you. Because if you don't build your own brand, and we used to talk in marketing world about building your own brand, now we talk about it for children. If you don't build your own brand, then who really are you? You've got to create an identity that will be noticed. And the reason why is because we live in a noisy, forgetful world. And if every day you don't do something to get attention, you know that you will disappear like an Instagram story never to be heard of again. That's the world we live in, trying to create our own identity. And Paul says, when I look at what Jesus came to do, there's actually an identity there that he shares with us. Look at what he says, starting in verse 18. He says, all this is from God. Like this, this new identity, new creation, this new calling, all this. God is the one who's done all this. All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ, and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now catch this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, in this couple verses, Paul uses the word reconcile five times. Five times. What is that all about? What is that word? Where the word reconciled is the bringing together two parties who previously had a harmonious, loving relationship, but one person broke trust, and now the relationship is damaged, and the feeling is, I used to be close, I used to have love, but now all I feel is alienation. It's like when a husband cheats on his wife. At that moment, there's a breach. At that moment, trust is gone. At that moment, there's alienation. There's alienation. And here's what God is saying in this passage. He's saying, I didn't want that with you. Even though I created you, 
to be in my image, to follow my direction, you decided that you were going to reject me and you were going to put yourself in charge of everything and you were going to go out and live the way you wanted to to satisfy yourself. The result of that are broken people, broken relationships, broken societies, broken world. And God said... I don't want to be alienated from you. But there's no way that you can fix this problem. And so God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the most precious thing to me, my only son, and I'm going to send him to put on flesh, to become one of you, to give his life, to die on the cross, to literally take the punishment for sin so I can turn around and offer you forgiveness so we can have a restored relationship. And God invites you into that. This is an amazing thing. You talk about good news. This is eternal good news. God wants a relationship. And Paul says, therefore, God has made us his ambassadors. He he sent us out to share this message with others, the greatest good news of all. What an amazing opportunity for us to have a life purpose of sharing the best news in the world, eternal news, with everybody we come in contact with. Wow. Wow. Talk about a reason to get up in the morning. Now, some of you on March 17th put on green. And the reason why you put on green, most of you, was to keep from being pinched by somebody who is pretty committed to St. Patrick's Day, right? A few of you may have journeyed to Chicago and watched them turn the river green or uh, went to Boston and drank uh, green beer. Um, And and most of the people that celebrate have no idea who St. Patrick was. We have to travel all the way back to the 400s A.D. St. Patrick was a 16-year-old boy living on the mainland of England in a coastal city, um, normal life for 400s, and his father was a deacon in the Christian ch- in the church at the time, and he went to church, didn't have a particular belief, but he went, and that all changed when he was 16 when an Irish raiding party raided his b- village, and they carried him and a bunch of the household servants off and sold him into slavery. He was actually uh, sold into slavery to a Druid chieftain who put him in charge of taking care of the pigs. And so that was his lot in life. You're going to be a slave the rest of your life. You're going to take care of pigs. And in the midst of all his anguish and sorrow and the filth and the putrid nature of living in that that setting as a slave, God started talking to him. Like all that he'd been taught started coming into his mind and God started talking to him. And it was there in the pigsty he gave his heart to Jesus accepted the free gift, was reconciled to God. And he actually began to thank God that God put him in that terrible position so that God could speak to his heart and bring him to faith. Six years later, he was able to escape. He boarded 
about back to the mainland. He got home to the welcome of his family and friends, life back to normal. He was done with that. And he felt so free as far as the Irish people were concerned. That's over. Said he had no forgiveness in his heart, didn't think about it until God gave him a dream. That dream got his attention. And he started to develop a heart for the Irish people. In fact, he told his parents and the people in the village that he was going to go back and spread the gospel in Ireland. And they told him he was crazy. Why would you waste your time on those pagan people? With his own money, he bought a boat, sailed back to Ireland, and became a missionary where he shared the good news of Jesus with all the people on that island. And over time, the superstitions and the paganism of the Druids melted away, and people began to give their life to Christ. And 1,600 years later, there's a whole group of people that have heard the gospel, and many have come to faith he became an ambassador and went back with the good news. Now, Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ too. And what do we tell people? Notice in verse 19, here's the message, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, bringing people in the world back to himself through what Jesus did on their behalf. And then he says this, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Do you realize that we live in a moment in history where God is saying, listen, I've given you the ability to be forgiven and you don't have to work for it earn it, live up to it. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is embrace my son Jesus and what he did for you. That's the message that we have to share with the world. The most unbelievable message that you can literally tell people that God put their sin on Jesus and by trusting in him, they can be totally forgiven and brought into a relationship with Christ. Now tell me which of your stories of good news that you tell is greater than that story. Now, I know that there's spiritual warfare out there, so there are people that don't want to hear, but what a tale to tell. In fact, Paul ends in verse 21, that God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our eternal destiny is bound up in the message that today you can be forgiven and be right with God. That's good news, folks. That's good news. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never trusted in him, listen to the good news. Today's the day. Simply acknowledge, Jesus, I believe that you died for me to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life, be the leader of my life. And with confidence, you've now transferred yourself from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. You've become a citizen of the coming kingdom 
and everything changes. For those of you who've already put your faith and trust in Jesus, my question is, who needs to hear this from you? Who needs to hear this good news? When you think about it, like we're two weeks away from Easter. Who do you need to share this with? Who do you need to invite? What would happen if the Christians in Austin all simply decided, I've got good news to share, and we began to share? Like, like Ireland, we could actually see the whole city of greater Austin come to know, even if they don't accept it, at least they understand how much God loves them. And God's given you that opportunity. My prayer for you is that you would be ravished by the love of Jesus, that you would start thinking long-term, my eternal destiny and the people around me, and you would understand that God has given you a calling, a new identity. You have the ability by the message of the gospel to change people's lives forever. And it's the greatest news of all. May we share it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you are a God who loves so much that you would reach for us. And then invite us to reach our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers. Father, as I pray this prayer over our congregation at all our locations and online, Father, I pray that your spirit would bring to mind right now in the minds of each person those you've called them to share the good news with and encourage and through the power of the Spirit they would share that good news this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.